Wonderful to see everyone. We have been, um, we are about to follow a series of four topics. Does anyone know, without looking at the leaflet, which was the first one? Top marks down the front. Um, We're talking about peace this morning, and um, you can shout out this one after the other. Um, What does peace mean to you? Stability. Serenity. Nice one. Sorry, my hearing's bad that side, so I'm going to turn around. Security. Nice. Peace of mind. Yes, peace means peace of mind. Okay, anyone else? Calm. Yes. Anyone else throw anything out in there to the mix? Happiness. Yeah. Jesus. That's got to be right, isn't it? Jesus. Surely that's the answer. Great answer. Um, I put down some thoughts I thought people might say. No one said them, which is interesting. It shows you where my mind's at. Um, is it the absence of war or absence of conflict? Is it the absence of things? Is it no crime? Is it no arguments? Because um, we might pose the question, what is the opposite to peace? Or, or how do wars and conflicts start? Um, have you noticed, generally speaking, how very angry and critical most people are? Of course, not in this room, but outside of this room. Have you noticed that? <laughs> um, what we're going to do is we're going to take different parts of the Christmas story every week. And so this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter 2. You would like to turn to that in your Bibles if you have one in your phone or like an actual book. Some of you might be going really old school and you've got a scroll. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Picking out the scroll for Luke. Some of you just have it memorized. I know, I know. Luke chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 10. Read to verse 15. It says this. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Tell someone to say, don't be afraid. That sounded like you were saying as quietly as you possibly could say it. Thank you, yeah. That was loud than everyone put together. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them 
and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's just pray before we go any further. Father, I pray you'd speak to every heart in this room with this message and what it means to be a recipient of your peace. And pray, Lord, at this time, which for, for many is a difficult season, it's a chaotic season, and a worrying season. I pray that we as a church would know your peace and it would flow out from us to those around us. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. If I could just pick, especially on that line, where <coughs> this incredible, great company of the heavenly host, which we can only imagine what it looked like. That out on this hillside where these shepherds are tending to their sheep at night, suddenly the angels appears and there's a heavenly host then appears and starts worshipping. What do they worship? What do they say when they worship? There's, in, there's two essential ingredients here which they are proclaiming. Firstly, they're like, as it were, shouting to heaven, glory to God in the highest, telling everyone in heaven, worship God, look at what he has done. And of course, we read how, um, particularly in Hebrews, it talks about how like angels were thinking, what is God got planned? Here was the great plan beginning to unfold. God sends his only son into the world as a baby. It's in an incredibly bizarre, strange, vulnerable plan that God has in store. And so it starts off with angels and angelic beings just praising God. Give glory to God. And everyone's presumably going crazy in heaven. And then there is this like straddling of two spheres that the angelic voices are talking to. Glory to God in the highest. And then there's this proclamation to the earth. It's quite a scene and quite a picture in, our, in my mind with this. And on earth, peace. Proclamation of peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the very first thing the angels or the angelic hosts are proclaiming is there is peace now to whom God's favor rests. Are we following so far? So the Christmas story at this point is a message of peace. I love history. Can anyone tell me what happened on the 6th of June, 1944? D-Day. Well done, that person who said that. Um, what I want you to see the parallel of, because there are so many parallels you can use. I like historical ones. And I love the story of D-Day. I, I don't think there's anyone here who could not like that story. It's so... It's so um, chivalric, it's so like exciting, it's so dramatic, it's, it was the turning point for World War II, was it not? But what we call victory in Europe Day was May the, almost, May, May the 8th, sorry, May the 8th, 1945. So 11 months and two days later, three days later, was the as it were, 
the actual victory in Europe, approximately a year before that victory in Europe day was D-Day. What is interesting about that day, it was, it was like a single day where like um, this incredible allied invasion on Normandy hit, guns were blazing, rockets were firing, people were running on shore with these sort of bizarre vehicles, going through mines, going through the barbed wire, storming the, sh uh, the shore early in the morning, the Germans obviously panicking, firing. You can imagine the, the stench, the smoke, the death, the blood, the chaos. Who on earth was winning? It must have been very confusing. And quickly they got a foothold. Meanwhile, in Nazi Germany, Hitler was sound asleep. The night before, apparently, he was sitting around with all his leaders, reminiscing on the good last few years, how well everyone had done, how great everything was, and how they were waiting for the Allied, Allied invasion to come forward so that they could finish the job. They were kind of thinking what would happen was there would be a sort of distraction of an invasion, and then the real one would come behind that. So it's like 10 o'clock in the morning when the news hits Hitler's um, house where he's staying, and... He's asleep, and the guys are thinking, should we wake him? But they don't wake him. They wait until midday of June the 6th, 1944, to finally wake him up. They wake Hitler up, and they tell him there has been an invasion. And his response is, oh, great, I guess now we can finish the job. He has been waiting for this invasion in order that he believed the German guns were so much more powerful, so much more advanced, that we could, they could then wipe out the Allied troops. So he was generally relaxed. He hadn't grasped what was about to happen. He didn't realize this was the beginning of the end. Hoping some of you can see the parallel I'm making with Jesus' arrival is that it's interesting when you read the story, it's difficult with the Matthew and Luke's version to combine the two, but you realize there's this gap, a little bit of a gap between the shepherds that are told and then the men, the magi from the east. When they arrive, they go to the palace of Herod. We think, I say we, scholars believe, um, that there's probably around a two-year gap between the shepherds going and the magi going. The reason is because when they go to see Jesus, he is no longer in a manger. He, the, the word they use for him is small child rather than baby, and he's now in a house. So when they go, he's grown up a bit. And then what happens is um, Herod gives the instruction to kill all those two years and under in that region. So we think there's a gap between the two. And it's a little bit like, Hitler, fast asleep, waking up, this is no big deal. The devil not grasping what's just happened. Jesus is born. And he's like, okay, Jesus is born, okay. And then it clicks in what might be happening. This proclamation of a king, people are going visiting him, and then he kills all of the babies. So Jesus, as a baby, is taken to Egypt as an asylum seeker. This is the most incredible story that is hitting human history up to this point. 
And it's like the devil is playing catch up with what is happening. And all the way, I would argue, the devil hasn't worked out this story. He's playing catch up. He's sort of working out what's happened. And he then strikes. And it's interesting, even through the crucifixion, the devil hasn't worked out. Jesus needs to die on this cross. And the devil is like, must be like getting his hands, thinking, I finally got Jesus. We're going to kill him. We're going to end this whole little fiasco, not realizing this was the great point of Jesus' arrival and his mission was to die. And the first coming, the first advent where we look forward to at the, near the end of this month is very much like D-Day. It was the beginning of the end. And Christians, we celebrate in communion as well also, but we read it out in the Apostles' Creed. We are looking for the second coming of Jesus. And we live between the two times, the first and the second advent. And that's where we are alive right now in this age. Let's get back to peace. How many of you would like to live in a peaceful home? Have you noticed... Some of you are quite happy with conflict, clearly, because you haven't but yet, right? Have you noticed that you can't enforce there to be peace? And it doesn't last long if you try to enforce it. You can't, as it were, tell everyone, right, let's all agree on this. We're just going to have a peaceful household. Because peace doesn't start with two people working it out. It starts in each individual having a peace of mind and a peace in their own heart. And that's why you cannot fix the world to make it a peaceful place until you have somehow enabled everyone to have peace in their heart. That makes sense? Like that, that would be, like, that's a breakthrough when you think about it. What we're really saying is world peace is impossible until there is peace in every single human being's heart. I was reading an article I don't remember what new paper, a few years ago now. And it said how in Europe, we are very tired of war. We have been ravaged by two world wars, and we're tired of it. People were talking about the events in, in London Bridge this week, and how like Joe Public was now jumping in and wrestling these people and causing it, which is brilliant. And I think part of that is down to the fact that people are tired of living with a form of terrorism. We're exhausted by it. So let's just like end it now. Let's jump on these people rather than brandishing knives and trying to scare people and us just running away. And let's just, let's just when we see it, get rid of it. That's what people are thinking. But if I said to you, let's go have a war with another country, all of you are like, no, no, no. Bad idea, right? Who wants to live in a state of war? Well, the answer is there are other parts of the world that would quite welcome war. That you have young people in other countries that are saying we would like to have a war with another country. We in the West, we in relative civilization, we thought to ourselves at the beginning of the 20th century, we thought there will be no more wars. At the turn of the 20th century, people were saying, We've had all the world wars. We've had all the wars that anyone can stomach. This will be the century where there'll be no more world wars. We're so civilized. Everyone wants peace. We're technologically moving further and farther. We've worked this out philosophically. Everyone wants, just wants peace. 
And of course, we saw the bloodiest of all the centuries in the 20th century, did we not? How naive we were to think that we could just somehow bring peace if everyone just agreed on it. It was an incredible delusion. So what on earth did the angels mean when they proclaimed that peace was now coming to earth and resting on those that God favored? What on earth did he mean? Well, I've got a couple of answers for you. I think there were three levels that it was intended to mean. The first one, and the most important one, the most critical one, is that Jesus came to reconcile us with his Father. What is astonishing when you speak to people in our culture about why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate Christmas? What is Advent really about? Ultimately, it is about God the Father sending his Son so that we could have peace again with him. Everyone in the world has a difficulty and a challenge with God. Have you noticed how many human beings they are and they feel completely separated from God? Maybe even some of you this morning, you feel God is distant. That distance happened when we rebelled against God and we separated ourselves and said, I don't want anything to do with him. And even today, most people live in rebellion. They live at war with God. They often know the things they should do, but we refuse to do it. So there is a war, a conflict. And we're like, we want, we want peace in the world, but we don't want peace with God. That's how most people live. So Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father, paying the price we could never pay. And his blood was spilt so that you and I would have a doorway through to the Father again. Number two, everyone say number two. Everyone say number two. Two, thank you. Here is where it goes next. It, it wasn't the whole plan that Jesus dies on the cross, rises again, ascends back to the Father. The next piece of the puzzle was he would then send the Holy Spirit to live inside of people. And the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Peace, that God himself would dwell in us and give us peace in our hearts. In other words, Jesus dying on the cross and all that meant in terms of judgment, what happens when we die and the reconciliation, for most of us in this room, it feels abstract. It feels out there. It's a, it can feel like it's an idea in our heads, an idea on pages that we say these truths and we're thinking, I don't know what that looks like. I believe it, but I'm not quite sure what it means. The great piece of the puzzle is that Jesus ascended so that he could send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That this stuff isn't simply, simply words on a page or words we say out of our mouth. It comes to live inside of us. So God's peace lives inside of believers. And lastly, everyone say number three. You got it this time. When God does a work in your heart, we want to share it with other people. When you are hurt and you are broken and you are angry, have you noticed how much you want to share that with other people as well? When you're frustrated, 
and you're feeling critical, have you noticed you don't really want to keep it to yourself? Kind of want to let it out of the bag. You want people to feel what you feel. Likewise, when God's peace comes into your heart, it is the natural thing of human beings to share that with other people. When you feel peace in your heart, you want other people to experience that too. When you feel in a, in a kind mood, you want to be kind. You want it to flow out of you to someone else. When you feel loving, you want that to flow to someone else as well. Blessed, Jesus said, are the peacemakers. Paul then goes to say, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this is where I'm going to land with this story. So uh, it, it fascinates me. Every time I read this passage, it's a bunch of shepherds on a night shift. How many of you have a job where you have night shifts as part of your job? Three or four, right? Okay. So we've got a few people. Have you noticed on your night shifts? Okay. How many of you, when you were teenagers, you um, round a campfire with friends or had a sleepover of something of that nature? Okay. A few more hands. Okay. How many of you exchanged scary stories during those times? Night shifts, round a campfire, a sleepover. You, we do that, right? Because it just... It just makes sense. You're tired, a little bit tired. Everything's mystically dark. Maybe around a campfire. And people start sharing their like, insane stories. How many of you, when you look back as an, as an adult, you look back and think, I think a lot of those things were made up. I don't think those things were really true. It's interesting, is it not, that the shepherds were on a night shift. Who were these shepherds on the night shift? Well, they were like the lowest of the low in terms of the working market. Because who wants to work a night shift? No. People want to work during the day and go to sleep at night. Those working a night shift, they have to work. And they're bottom of the rung of the ladder, so they have to work. And you can imagine shepherds, like, there's like, maybe, I'm guessing four or five of them, and they're sharing their stories. And they're making things up. Because it passes the time, and it's interesting, and it's mystical. And it's to those that the angels appear. So you can imagine the difficulty, right? They're making up all these stories and they're sharing this from the night shift and suddenly these angels appear. And they go down to the village and they go to Bethlehem. The night shift shepherds go down to Bethlehem and said, you won't believe what we just saw. <laughs> and um, I don't know who was the first people to receive them in Bethlehem, but they did find the baby in a manger. You can imagine Joseph and Mary like having the baby. And in come a bunch of shepherds. You won't believe what we've just seen. A bunch of angels declaring this baby was be born. You can imagine Joseph being like, shepherds, night shift. This seems unlikely, to say the least. But it is only the beginning of a very, very bizarre story. I mean, Jesus conceived out of wedlock, made to stay in a, in a manger because there's no room for them at the inn, which presumably has something to do with the fact that there was some scandal around this conception. He is put in an animal feeding trough. He's visited by men from the east with some bizarre gifts of myrrh and frankincense and gold. Becomes an asylum seeker. He grows up as a construction worker. He's known as the carpenter's son. 
He lives in a town with virtually no good reputation in Nazareth. Even today, Nazareth is an interesting place. Christy was coming here to speak a couple of times. He's right today in Nazareth. And um, he's working with some of the Christians there. And he was taking, he'd been posting on Facebook. They've, um, from Nazareth, you can see Armageddon or um, Medigo or this place where they think might well be the final battles mentioned in Revelation. And you look at this place and you can just see for miles and miles these plains in like all direction, all directions. And it's a scandalous upbringing that Jesus has, but he has a reputation as being a friend of sinners. He hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes. How can this possibly be the Messiah? And then, as we know, he dies a scandalous death on a cross, reserved for thieves and murderers and spat upon, insult hurled at him. What a bizarre life. What a bizarre person this Jesus is that all of us here, I'm sure, would say that we are trusting him, believing him, worshipping, saying that at the name of Jesus, every knee will one day bow. And we think, what a crazy story this is. And you know, this Christmas, not just Christmas, every day, God wants to give you something so much better than whatever it is you're expecting materially from someone. Is anyone expecting something, a really good gift this Christmas? Have you all got everything you want? Josh, what are you going to get? A beehive. I was after good gifts, not like <laughs> insane gifts. A beehive. Wow. Anyone going to beat that for a beehive? That's a great gift, I'm sure. Um, anyone else expecting something really good for Christmas? Socks. Do you know, David, my, my wife would agree with you on that. She said, if all I get is socks, I'll be one happy lady. God wants to give you something so much better than a pair of socks this Christmas. Which you might not think is that, that difficult to be. Um, or a beehive. I thought someone might say like an iPhone or maybe somebody like, I might be getting a new car or something. I thought someone might be saying something like that. No, nothing like that. What God wants to do is give people a new heart. Not a physically pumping blood thing around your body. He wants to give you an invisible gift, but it will transform you from the inside out. And he wants to fill you with his peace. He wants to fill you with his peace. He wants to fill you with himself, that you will be a peacemaker to those around you. He wants to fill you with his love. He wants to fill you with his kindness. He wants you to know him. Without Jesus, no one here could ever say that they knew God. But through Jesus, through him, sent, through him dying on a cross, through him being born as a baby, growing up to be a man, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, ascending to the Father, we now can know the Father through Jesus. And that is ultimately how he gave us his peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you how unusually you have done everything. This story makes so little sense in its little component parts. And when we read it, most of us, I'm sure, are baffled by it. It's not what we would have thought would happen. It's not the plan we would have put together. And we're reminded how very different God is. He doesn't think like us. 
He doesn't act like us. He's not limited like us. And it reminds us that we have a God who knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to face temptations. He knows what it is to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be in need, to feel rejected by people. We serve a God who knows what it is to have pain. And on the cross, he declares, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows ultimately the rejection that human beings face and live with. Feeling somehow distant and disconnected from God. And Lord, our prayer is bigger than just the people meeting here this morning. Our prayer is for this village and for the town of Horsham. And for the other places around it, the hamlets and the other villages. That Lord, they would know your peace this Christmas. That Lord, we wouldn't be keeping this thing to ourselves. And living with a sense of, I just want this for my own enjoyment. It was always meant to be something received and then given out again. And Lord, this world needs to know peace. And yet it has no idea how to go after it. For most, it's an illusion. And we remind people, and I, I pray this for our church, that we would be carriers of this gospel message. Think how the angels declare this incredibly good news that the Messiah was born. And the response was, glory, give glory to God, and there is now peace coming to earth. And I pray that you would embolden our church to be carriers of the gospel to those around them, where they work, the family that they share their lives with, to their children, to their friends, to their neighbors. That this season would be a season where we are peacemakers. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope that was helpful. And um, please stay around for some tea and coffee. Get to know someone you don't already know. Bless you.